subtle skills, big results. Welcome to the Ninja Selling Podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to the Ninja Selling Podcast. We have another great episode for you today. We have a we have a guest today, and he's pretty spectacular. I think you're really going to enjoy this one. Before we dive into it, just a few quick reminders. If you have not discovered our Facebook community, which is now probably at the time of this being published, over 9,000 people in there, head over to facebook.com slash group slash The Ninja Selling Podcast and enjoy enjoy that community because people ask questions, people share answers. There's a ton of collaboration going on in there. So great opportunities. And if you want to learn more about Ninja Selling or find an open installation, head over to ninjaselling.com. So with us today, happy to introduce Mark Gordon, who is the Chief Revenue Officer of Princeton Mortgage. And he is located here in Charleston, where I am. But Mark is an entrepreneur. He's not just uh, another guy in the mortgage industry. He had started and founded his own mortgage company, Fortran Funding, back in 2011 and sold that before moving down here to Charleston. He's coached, he's taught, he's done pretty much everything that you would probably want in a person who's running a mortgage company. And he's seen a whole lot of things. So he's going to share a lot of great insights with us today. And he's also infused Ninja into his company, which kind of a fun story there that I'm sure he'll share as we get started. So Mark, good morning. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Um, you know, I've done a bunch of interviews in the past, but this is the first time I've ever been on a podcast I actually listened to. So uh, I think you guys are awesome. And uh, I've been a big fan for a long time. Super excited. Well, thanks, Mark. And Gary, good morning to you too, man. I thought you were going to leave me out. I'm like, I guess this is just Matt and Mark's show today. Like, I'll let it ride, but I appreciate it. Yeah. We're just going to do it in Charleston here today. We'll, let, we'll leave California out of it. I'm a little jealous of the sun. Nobody can see it, but the sun is shining behind Mark. And I got this pasty white thing going on off my computer screen. I'm like, I'm a little jealous. It looks a little nicer. We haven't had sun in like, two weeks. So this is pretty nice. Finally a breakthrough, right? Love it. Love it. Well, my, Mark, thanks for being on with us today. I, uh, we've got a lot of fun stuff to talk about. What an amazing time to have this conversation with all the changes going on. And what is money doing right now? And how are people going to be able to make this world work for them in the purchase side? So again, you've got so much great information uh, that I'm excited to kind of dive into today. So thank you for joining us. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. So Mark, why don't we start with your ninja story? Because I think it, it'll provide a good foundation and also maybe inspire some of the broker owners or other mortgage professionals out there, people leading teams and how that you kind of discovered ninja and infused it into your company and train people and get them all excited. Thank you so much. I mean, so I mean, ninja's changed my life and changed our company and everything that we do here, especially as a sales culture is based around a lot of the stuff in Ninja. Um, for me, my journey was I came up in call centers in the mortgage industry, started in 2005, worked my way up through that, started my own call center in 2011. And so I was used to having a culture where we were taking people from off the street, recent college graduates, people from other industries, teaching them how to do the job from the ground up, having a system. I believe in having a system and having a way. And that was why we were successful when we were in that business. At Princeton, we're very distributed retail focused, right? So we have branch offices, we have guys out in the field. And so the culture, by the way, when I had my call centers was not so much Wolf of Wall Street, like the movie fun part of it, but certainly it was definitely like a, whoever hangs up first loses kind of a deal, right? There was not a lot of relationships. It was transactional. It was convincing somebody to go with you today and moving that forward. So now I'm coming to Princeton, we're moving to the distributed retail space and 
suddenly that transactional relationship isn't going to work. I need to learn and find a new way. I still want to have a way at Princeton. And so, and people were very skeptical. They were like, you're not going to find outside loan officers to kind of have a way, but we didn't really have any loan officers. When I got to Princeton, the company's been around for a long time. We had one real loan officer and a couple other guys, and we were kind of putting it together from scratch. We had big dreams, but we needed kind of a way. And so I started reading all these different books and, and true story, I got halfway through Ninja and I was like seriously considering quitting everything and becoming a realtor because I was like, this is such a system, right? Such a like, hey, I can hand you this book and if you do this stuff, you will succeed. And I so intuitively knew that if I did the stuff in the book that it would work for me, I was blown away. And I was like, man, we need to do something like that for mortgages. And then I was like, well, maybe we shouldn't try to reinvent the wheel. Maybe we should just take this stuff. And so there were some things off the bat that I knew were going to be difficult. Like I knew getting outside loan officers to do their own four by fours was good or eight by eights. I'm sorry, uh, as you guys do them, was going to be really difficult. So I said, how do I automate that process on the mortgage side so that it can be a reward for loan officers who do their scorecards, who do their calendars, who can kind of incentivize the behaviors that we're looking for in the beginning as we got going to get people to buy in. And we had this one loan officer, career guy, Fred Lom, had been a, an above average loan officer, but just, just above average loan officer's entire career. And I got him to buy in. And it was hard because Fred's one of the hardest working people I know, but he doesn't like a lot of constraints. But he bought in and his production went 400% increase. He became one of the top loan officers in New Jersey, started crushing it. And then that story that we had enabled us to get more people to buy in. And so, and now, you know, when people show up, they're coming for the system instead of us convincing them to use it. And so we, we took that ninja system and the culture of it and the, and meaningful relationships. And we shifted our mindset to all those different things. And now twice a week, we get 90% attendance at our trainings, mindset, skill sets, habits, more money per hour work so you can enjoy the rest of your life. And we stole all that stuff from Larry and Ninja. It's the best stuff I've found in any industry when it comes to sales training. So Mark, I, what I want to point out about that, which I think is really interesting, is I'll watch owners of companies that want to take Ninja and bring it in and make it part of their culture. And they'll get me on the phone and they're like, how can I get them to follow the plan? How can I get them to follow the plan? I'm like, all you need is one person to go all in. And if you can get one person to go all in, they're all going to sit back and go, how did they do that? So by the way, well done with getting him to kind of lean into these systems, especially, and I'm going to call him an old dog like that. But when you're set in your ways and you have a plan that's working and you have a business that's working, sometimes that's really hard to get them to be like, hey, I want you to change everything up here. Like, check out what I got for you. So I'm really well done with doing that. And that's, he's probably one of the prime reasons, as you probably know already, why your company was able to make this, you know, 90% showing up and following this plan. So well done, man. That's really awesome. Yeah, I give him a ton of credit. Again, I think, you know, it, some people are naturally systems followers. He wasn't. And that's what made it really believable for everyone else. Because it was like, if Fred's the kind of person that's willing to buy into and do this, then I can do it too, right? And so it seemed very achievable. And obviously, you know, or I shouldn't say obviously, he works incredibly hard. So he's had better results than some. But certainly we've had a lot of people now come in here and, you know, double their purchase production over the first eight or nine months just by implementing the basics of the system. So cool. It's amazing. Kudos to you, man, for developing that internally. Before we switch over to talking about some of the specifics within mortgage and what's going on currently, is there any kind of, because we have a lot of broker owners, managers, and other lenders that listen, like, are there any little tips, things that you've done to create an environment internally at Princeton that someone might be able to grab and say, ooh, if I can bring that in here, that might help adoption of Ninja within my organization? 
Well, first of all, you have to lead by example, right? And I know that sounds like a, an obvious thing, but I believe to-do lists are evil. I do a ton of trainings on this in terms of how to use your calendar and time blocking things and putting everything into your calendar so that you know what you're saying yes to and what you're saying no to and being conscious about it. But the way I got people to buy into that is because I lived it and I made my calendar public to the entire company so they could see that my kids' recitals and my gym time and all of it was in there first and how to build out my day and do those different things. And so, first of all, I think most of this comes down to time management and how and when to do your best work and focus on those important but non-urgent activities. And I think you need to be willing and able to demonstrate those things to your team every single day and do it in the most transparent and public way possible. And I think that once they see it working for you, and hopefully you're a leader that people on your team are looking up to, and then they see one or two guys that it's working for, they almost start to feel left out if they're not doing it, right? And then it's like, well, if they're doing it and they're doing it, now all of a sudden there's a community of people in my team doing this, it's working for them. You know, it feels silly not to get on board. And that's how it is now when people show up here, even you know, we'll hire a guy with 30 years of mortgage experience who's like, kind of like, you know, I got my way, but I'll check out your way. I always have a growth mindset. And they say that, but like, maybe they do, maybe they don't. And they get in there and they're like, well, I got to get on board because it's obvious. Everybody here is happy. People are talking about how awesome it is to show for the trainings. So now all of a sudden it's like, it's easy to get people to buy in. I think making your calendar public, like that's huge, right? And I think that's where a lot of leaders maybe balk or they pause. It. I mean, they know that leading by example is important, but sometimes how do I lead by example? How do I show? It's like, well, you just said, okay, here's my calendar. This is my life, right? Come see it. But Matt, that's what I was going to say. Even going farther, as you said, all the kids' dance recitals, all of it, not just like, oh, here's how I make sure like I do my systems and I've got it all set up here. Like You're like, no, this is how I run my life. And I think you probably initially did it so that you guys could all work well together. I, I may be wrong. You may have gone into it with like a bigger thought of like, no, we're going to show them by example. But that is probably the best way to show them by example. Yeah, honestly, for me, it was really about like, okay, and I, I wanted to make it safe for everybody, by the way, to like get help. So I have my own coaching stuff in there that I do that I get coached on. I have my therapy appointment every week in there and people can see it and I don't care because honestly, the reason is I think it's such an important part of who I am and part of my growth story. And so I want to make it safe for other people to still say they need to work on their game and get coaching and get help and doing different things. And so by being as transparent as I can be about what my process is, it also just builds trust. Right. And so we're in a, an industry where we have to ride market cycles. The way to navigate those cycles is to have a team that's in sync. And so we share almost everything here with almost everybody down to the profitability of the company and where it's going. And so this calendar is just another part of that building of trust here, which is, hey, we're in this together. We're going to spend all this time working together. I want to make sure I'm surrounded by a group of people that are going to help me get better. And the only way I'm going to be able to get the full window into that is through transparency. That's always one of the reasons why I always use sports as a great now. Just some people get frustrated with me. I'm always using sports. It's like sports is so great because we get to see the result in a win-loss record. We know what's working, what's not working. We can see it on a videotape. And so how do we create that environment in a sales culture, which is like, man, I want you to be able to see everything that everyone's doing so you can figure out what's working, what's not working, and we can learn from it. It's awesome. I love it. So for those of you out there listening, take some notes. So Mark, you brought this up and I think we should transition over to this, but you, you said the word market cycle. And for those of you who aren't familiar with it, we just went through a pretty interesting cycle in real estate and in mortgage. We had a, a brief conversation about this before we hit record. And I'm excited to kind of see your take on this, Mark, because obviously 
we just went through a refinance boom. We went through a purchase boom. I mean, really, the the mortgage market got hit from many, many, many sides of like, how many loans can we possibly process in a short amount of time? And there are some different cycles going on right now. And I'd love to kind of see your take of what we just went through to like what we're currently seeing right now. Yeah, I mean, we've seen essentially a perfect storm of how you're going to have an immense amount of pain in the mortgage industry. So as good as 2007, 2008, 2009 was in terms of refinances, 2020 and 2021 were the greatest years for mortgage production ever. And it wasn't really that close. We're talking about over $4 trillion in mortgage production. This year, we're looking at $2 trillion in mortgage production. So every company in the country spent those two years ramping up to be able to handle all those extra mortgages. And as a result, they were actually able to raise their margins and make more money per deal because everybody had more loans than they could handle. So all of a sudden you have this big margin expansion, you start spending and everyone's like, we're going to do it smartly, but it's very hard when you have all this money coming in, you have more loans than you can deal with. Everybody just goes at hundred miles an hour. Like we'll worry about it later. Well, the later came very quickly. We saw, we, you know, maybe we expected rates to go up this year, but we certainly didn't expect them to go from below 3% to above 6%, which is kind of where we're sitting right now. And so refis went from 70% of our company's business to 10%. Now, we've been repeating this as a mantra all of last year. This was coming. We need to go get more realtors, go get more relationships, go hit our sphere of influence, do all those different things. And I think that we prepared better than most. And we've actually been able to really increase our sales staff. We have loan officers joining from all over the country because kind of the word's getting out. But we're still down 10% over where we were last year. Other companies are down 50% or more in terms of production and 50% in terms of the margin or the money they make on each loan. And so you might have a company that did hundred million in revenue two years ago, that's going to do 25 million in revenue this year. And that's an impossible thing to navigate as a business owner. I don't think that's the exception. I think it's going to be the rule. And one of the predictions I've been making kind of privately, and I'm afraid to say it publicly because you know I met it with egg on my face. Don't worry. This is a safe environment, Mark. You're good. <laughs> yeah. Listen, predictions are like that. But I think you know I wouldn't be surprised if of the top 200 mortgage companies in the country, you saw one go out of business or get acquired every week between now and the end of Q1. That's a big statement, but oh, I think the numbers are worse than anyone is currently letting on internally. You know, again, we run a transparent company here, so we have to answer to our team about all the decisions we make every single month, where we're at, all those different things. By the way, that leads to some very different decision making as a leadership team, and that's by design, right? You know, you have to go out and you have to be able to justify your decisions to the team and, and really teach every employee how the business works, which is a huge part of our culture here as well. And so as we navigate those things, you know, first of all, a lot of mortgage company owners are in late 50s, early 60s. They just made a ton of money. They're going to be looking to get out of the game. Do I want to go through this navigating this market cycle again? Same thing as a lot of loan officers who may not want to go through that. And really, we're going to need half the people who are working in the industry to do those $4 trillion loans, probably going to need to end up working somewhere else before we see a balance if we're only going to do $2 trillion. And that's the reality of where we're at the market. So even though the purchase size is down 20% or whatever it is in certain markets, the refi side is down 90%. What's amazing though, what you've built is you'd said you flipped from 70% refinances to 10%, but you're only down 10% overall, which is incredible, right? Because you prepared for it, you saw it coming, whereas a lot of other mortgage companies, maybe they saw it, but didn't prepare. They just figured, oh, we'll just go through the cycle. A lot of publicly traded companies will just you know, try to maximize profits and we'll do the layoffs. That's what will happen, which leads to headlines, right? That say, hey, mortgage companies failing. And, it, and if your prediction comes true too, that's going to be more headlines that are going to get people going, well, what's happening in the real estate market? And so for realtors who see this stuff, 
what should they be paying attention to? How do they connect with this and understand this so that when their clients say, well, Garrett, mortgage companies are laying off their entire staff, they're going out of business, that means the real estate market's fallen apart. So how do you answer those types of comments and questions, Mark? Yeah. Listen, I think there's a couple of different ways. The first thing I would say is that if you go back and look at any previous market cycles, mortgage companies struggling can go out of business was probably the best time to go buy houses, right? Like it's so, you know, that, that may or may not be the case right now in this market, but I don't think there's any correlation between, hey, this is a rough year for mortgage companies and hey, this is a good time to go out and buy real estate. I think they're very separate things. I think the things that impact the mortgage market are sort of just unrelated, especially because we have this whole other category of refinance, which has nothing to do with, well, very little, I would say, to do in general with just how many people are buying homes or the overall health of the purchase market. And one of the things I'm excited to talk about is, and I don't hear a lot of people, you know, I had a conversation with a buddy of mine who's very invested in the stock market. He's been doing it a long time. And and I started talking about kind of the returns he expects and his strategy. And I was like, I'm I'm a real estate investor. It's what I know. I know this industry and and I invest in real estate. We start kind of walking through our plans. And at the end of the conversation, he's like, you know, I should have all my money in real estate, not in the stock market. And the reason for that is the game is rigged for real estate over the long term as an investment, right? So I think the reason I got here is I actually sent you a message about your date the rate episode, which I thought was awesome. But I thought there was a couple of pieces missing that I thought would really further inform the conversation. Because what's happening in the overall economy, when rates go up or rates go down, impacts why I think real estate is still a safe investment. You know, if you told me what's the best way to, to build wealth, I'd say go find a way to buy one investment property every year, no matter what. Make sure that you're cash flow positive, and we'd like to make a cash on cash return of at least 12% in year one, and then build from there. That strategy and up markets and down markets and in and out, you know, don't try to time the market cycle, just consistently invest the same way you would with your 401k. And I think the returns are going to be outstanding. And, and when I say the game is rigged, here's what I mean. In the United States, we're basically one of the only countries in the world that has a 30-year fixed mortgage product. And what that means is you have the security of knowing that your principal and interest mortgage payments cannot go up from day one. So yes, rates are higher. And the date, the rates point you made about, hey, if you can't make your payments or you're in a 2-1 buy-down situation where that's going to go up, don't do that. Don't put yourself in that situation. Stress test your family. Make sure you can make your payments. But aside from that, as an investment vehicle, here's what happens. When rates go up like they're going up right now, it means inflation's going up. That's what's causing all of this, right? And so that means rents are going up, right? And that means that generally real estate prices are going up with inflation. Now, I don't know if you guys were paying attention to the Jackson Hole Summit where all the leaders from all over the world, economic leaders came together last week and they're talking about how the number one priority is stop inflation. The thing that's scariest for all central governments is inflation. You know, they'll take a recession, they'll take a depression over inflation because inflation erodes trust in the overall system and really causes a ton of problems. So you saw them commit to say, we will do whatever it takes to keep inflation down. And that means raising rates. Well, the mortgage market didn't immediately go up rates at the same time because they're weighing both sides. And here's what I mean by that. The purpose of them raising rates is actually to cause a recession. Right, Because the way you're going to combat inflation is people have less money in their pocket to go spend money. You have more people that are unemployed. And I know this is awful, right? but that's literally what they're trying to accomplish so that there's price stabilization. Right? We, they don't want American families or families around the world thinking about inflation when they're making their buying decisions or investment decisions. And that's their stated goal. right? So if you're going to cause this recession, well, here's how the mortgage markets work. It's a supply and demand thing, just like anything else. Okay? So And I know this can get a little wonky, but I think it's important to touch on. And if not, you can cut it. We cut nothing, Mark. 
we just keep everything in. And this is great. Keep going because this is great information. So then I got to nail this, right? So here's the deal. When central banks, foreign governments, right? You're China and you have money to invest. You're BlackRock and you have this money to invest. When you get nervous about what's going on in the economy, you can't just put your money in the bank because that bank can go out of business and then you lose all your money. So you need a place literally to park your money. If you think the whole world's going to fall apart, if you think someone's going to send off a nuke, you're like, I got to get my money out of all the stock markets. I got to get it somewhere. Well, where do I put it? The safest investment vehicle in the world is U.S. Treasury bonds. So what happens is U.S. Treasury bonds, when, when the economy is great, have to raise their yields to attract money and investors, right? But when there's panic in the, in the world, everyone wants those treasury bonds. So then those yield prices come down and that brings rates down because mortgage-backed securities, right? So we have U.S. Treasury bonds, the safest place to put your money. Mortgage-backed securities are generally considered the second safest place to put your money because generally no one thinks that all of a sudden home values are going to go to zero. We have a protected investment. And so it's a, it's a relatively safe investment vehicle, not quite as safe as a treasury bond, but pretty darn close. So in order to attract investors from mortgage-backed securities, mortgage-backed securities offer slightly higher yields than 10-year treasury bonds, right? Usually, and that's the case, to attract those investors in that money. And that's what dictates the mortgage rates. The higher those yields have to be, the higher rates have to be for those companies to make money, lower yields, lower rates, right? So we have this inflationary environment here that's driving rates up because you don't want a 10-year treasury bond right now paying 2% if inflation's 8%, right? So you have this, this supply and demand situation. Like, There's a better place to put my money. I can buy a house that's appreciating at 17% here in Charleston every year, or I can buy this 10-year treasury bond at 2%, right? So the, those are the decisions that people are making. And so what we have right now then is the government during the recession that we had or during the pandemic bought extra mortgage-backed securities and extra U.S. treasury bonds to artificially push rates down even lower. And that's why you saw that refinance boom. So as we walk through these cycles, you say, okay, well, hey, I buy a house today at 6%. If rates go up, from here, first of all, you're going to be psyched that you got your 6%, and it means that inflation is still going. So that house that you bought for 100000 is going to be worth $108,000 next year, right? You're making that money there. And on top of that, you're going to get the tax deductions that come along with that, right? And the rents that you receive on that property will also go up if we have this general inflation. If they succeed in stopping inflation and rates go down, great news. You get to get the lower rate. You can refinance at any time, Right. And that money goes directly to your profit or to your cash flow against that rent. And even if rents came down a little bit, they're probably not going to come down as much as the difference of what you just saved by going from 6% on your mortgage to 4% on your mortgage. And so when I say over the long term in real estate, if you're a long term holder or investor, or if you're even in your own personal residence, the game is rigged in your favor. It means that when rates go down, you always get to take advantage of it. And when rates go up, you never have to feel the brunt of it if you do those 30-year fixed products. And so that is the protection that you need, in my opinion, to make this the safest, really great investment that you can make over time. And so, you know, if I'm out there as a realtor and I know that a bunch of people in my community, small business owners got all this PPP money and, and they're looking for places to put it, it's a very convincing argument right now to still invest in real estate because if you can find that 12% cash on cash return right now, it's very likely going to get better if rates go down and you refinance or if inflation stays high and rents continue to go up. I love that you said it a couple of times, the game is rigged. And I was curious to hear you go further into how the game is rigged or what it looks like. So I appreciate you going down that path because really, I mean, if you look at it from what you just said, I was sitting here thinking, going back to like, we don't need to go too far down like Blackstone and things like that. And you look at them dumping money into real estate right now. And part of people are going like, oh, like they're up to something. And I'm here listening to it. I'm like, 
No, they're trying to protect their money, probably. Like they're trying to figure out how to, if things go weird, how are we protected? So I kind of went down that route as you were kind of thinking there. But I, I love this idea of the game is rigged going like, hey, look, you're locked in. If that rate goes down, you get a chance to adjust to it. Otherwise, you get to keep it and you get to ride it out. And again, hopefully it's still a good investment on the investment side is what you were talking about there, too, which is great. Well, yeah, but I'll even say this too. Like, so people go, well, what about 2007, 2008? I bought my house for 400 and it was worth 300. It's like, yes, that all happened and that can totally happen again, 100%. But what happened to the stock market over that same time period? It went down a whole lot more than the real estate market, right? And so, yes, we have a housing supply issue. We have more housing demand. We're not building enough houses. And by the way, every builder, when the race went up, just stopped building, essentially, if you're watching the news over the last couple of months. So those problems aren't going away. And any event that would cause housing demand to drop, given that scenario, is also going to crush all the other investments that you're going to have, right? And so, you know, if you see a real estate reckoning, it's not going to be on its own. It's going to be part of a greater reckoning across all different markets, which is why I still think the safest place, medium term, long term, and the best investment is real estate. And I think what that means, too, for a personal residence is people who are quote, waiting to make a buying or selling decision because they want the market to be a certain thing is in the long run, it matters not because it's all going to average out, particularly when you're trading equity for equity. It just might be whether you have a bigger loan or a smaller loan, depending on how you're making the move from the house you're in to the house you want to go to, in which case it's, well, it's more of a reason because the game is rigged, to focus exclusively on your life situation and make sure that you're putting yourself in the home that's going to make you happy. Obviously, making sure that you're not going to put yourself in a situation where your house poor and it's just costing you a ton of money to own that house. But to me, I'm listening to that. I'm going, man, all the more reason for anybody who's sitting in a home right now and they're like, well, I do want to buy another home, but I got to wait until the market's right. It's like, no, you don't. You got to make the decision that's going to make your life exceptional because that's going to then also open up the opportunity for you to start thinking about investing and all the other things. Because, I mean, I like to look at all the correlation also then between the mindset and, and the mental habits that we build with just making good decisions for ourselves can lead to then oh, maybe I should look into the investing thing and all that kind of stuff. So I think what you just explained should be a great thing for realtors to think about and go, okay, I don't need to necessarily look for the ways to calm my people down about what's happening in the market. I just need for them to understand the broader picture so they can make the best life decision. I mean, that's kind of what I'm hearing you say, Mark. Yeah. And again, you know, it's getting to know your clients, their individual situation and, and what's really important to them. Working with a loan officer that's going to help you figure out what they can afford and not putting themselves in a bad situation. But at the end of the day, I don't think there's a lot of people who bought and held real estate for 20 years and then regret it. Like that's just not what we see over time. Right. And so what we see is like what makes more millionaires than anything else in this country. And by the way, because of what's happened since the pandemic, one in 11 American adults right now is a millionaire in terms of their total assets. And most of those got there through real estate, right? And so when you think about it that way and you have that conversation that way, I think it can change perspective, you know? And so, yes, do you wish you'd bought the house a year ago or two years ago? Of course, but assuming your time machine is as broken as mine, this is just as good a time to get in as any. One of the most wealthy people I know, he had a program in real estate that if he couldn't sell your house, he'd buy the house. And of course, he'd always list in an area that he's like, okay, I'm willing to buy it for that if that's what would, if that's what really would go down. And uh, he said, I was so busy with real estate. It was a really well-functioning business. He goes, I would all of a sudden not sell a house. I'd have to like eat my words and be like, fine, here, I'll buy it, put it on a loan, 
get the property off their hands. He would continue doing business. He goes, my intention was always to, to sell it myself. He goes, and it was just easier to stick a renter into it. He said, stick a renter into it. And I'd go back to selling real estate. And he goes, and all of a sudden I look back and he goes, I've got this massive empire of real estate. Accidentally stepped into it, but you're right, over long term, like holding onto a property, let's say for 20 years and just keeping renters in it and just keeping them going, it's not a bad model to follow. I don't know anybody that's ever worked out the opposite for. So, so with this thought then of like, okay, real estate's got to be the place for first time home buyers, right? Mark, what do realtors and any consumers need to know about also the products that can help them get into real estate? Because now with prices being higher than ever, we need to have higher down payments. So we need to find different creative ways to purchase that first property, right? So how do you look at that in, in terms of the products that y'all offer and that you see out there? And how can we help people own more real estate? Yeah, well, I mean, so the first thing is, is that each individual area right? And metropolitan area, whether city area or even in rural areas, different counties, different cities, different states, all have their own programs to help people get into houses. And they all work kind of differently. There's that, you'd actually be shocked by how the uniqueness of some of those programs. Sometimes it's grant programs. Sometimes it's second mortgages that are forgiven over, over a certain period of time. Sometimes it's just down payment assistance that comes directly from the government. All of it, you know, it's funny. There's, there's two ways that I see to kind of learn about this if you're a realtor. And by the way, you should become an expert in this stuff because it will help you see opportunities that you can't see if you don't know the stuff. So if you're relying on your really good loan officer to just know this stuff when you send somebody over, it's not just that they find they can be great and they can do a really good job with that, but you will not open your mind to see all the opportunities that are in front of you if you are aware of those things. Suddenly that person who's like, I'm not interested in buying real estate is now a different conversation. You're like, well, why aren't you interested? And suddenly it's like, now you have a solution. That's going to be the difference for your, in your real estate business and how people see you as an expert. So two ways to dive in. One is Google is still your friend. A lot of my sales guys get mad at me because they ask me questions. I'm like, did you Google it first? The answers are there. And honestly, if you spent an hour or two reading about the local programs in your area, you could come out of that knowing more than 99% of the people in your area about what's available. The other option is find a loan nerd. And what I mean by that is, you know, we have a, some amazing loan officers here at Princeton. One of our best is West Salou here in Charleston. You know, Wes is a cool guy, right? He's a sales guy, he's a cool guy, he gets the sales part of the game. But at the end of the day, what makes Wes special is he is a complete nerd when it comes to guidelines, knowing what's available, knowing how to get different things done. And so and he goes out to these real estate offices and he's constantly teaching about what the new products are, what's changing. And, and by the way, these products do change and update all the time. Opportunities in the space change and update products of the moment, right? You know, no one was looking at arms a year and a half ago. Now all of a sudden everybody wants to know about arms. So having somebody who's willing to come out and teach your team and having a team that's willing to show up for those trainings is important. But I still say the number one way is self-education, reading and through Google and just Googling what are the local programs in my area, it will come up very quickly. Even if you're not a good Googler, do the work because it will open your mind up and suddenly you will see opportunities with people you know in your sphere that you didn't even know were there. So Mark, a question for you, because a lot of times a real estate agent will be working with a you know a client and the client's like, oh, I got my loan online through some company. And it's always like, oh, like I need to make sure this thing's going to get to the closing table and I can't necessarily trust that. You know, so what I'm hearing you say is so like there's national big banks lending institutions. There are obviously these all online opportunities people can go down and get loans through those ways. But some of the, like the local specialty banks and companies like Princeton, they're in the trenches there. You're saying like they will know special programs and grants and things like that, that maybe some of these outside companies won't know about. Am I hearing that right? 
Well, I'll say this. I don't think the size of the company matters nearly as much as where your loan officer is located and how long they've been there and what their expertise is, right? Okay. I think a lot of people, this is such a weird thing to say, right? Because I, I run a mortgage company, but the company in most cases is far less important than the loan officer. The loan officer is the CEO of your loan. They're the person with the most invested in it. They're the one who needs to have the experience level to see problems. And I've been doing this now since 2005. And every week I see something I've never seen before. There is no substitute for experience. By the way, it doesn't mean a new loan officer can't do a great job, but you better hope they're part of a team of people behind them that are loan experts. Because the reason why loan officers can make the money they make is because every loan is different and there's a, a level of expertise that's really hard to obtain. and can only be learned through experience. And so you want to find somebody who's local, who knows what's available locally. And by the way, whose reputation locally is invested in making sure that your deal closes on time because they're tied to that, right? And so there's nobody in a call center that's 150 miles away or 1,500 miles away whose reputation is going to be damaged because your client stuff is stuck on a moving truck outside the house. You want someone who's going to be there and make sure that they're on the ground to find a solution. So company, less important, loan officer, locally based, knows the area, knows the programs. And then here's what you also want to find. Somebody who has... You know, we talk about with doctors, good bedside manner. I think that's somewhat overrated in loan officers. Like you want to find the loan officer that's like the surgeon that comes in and is like, tell me what hurts. And I'm going to tell you what the best program is because I know all of them and I've been doing this forever. You don't want someone who's like, hey, here's three options. You pick one. You want someone who's going to ask all the questions to get to know your client in a real way and say, if I was you, this is what I would do. And that's the loan officer you're looking for, the one that's like, listen, I've asked you all the questions. I now have a really firm idea of what's important to you, what you're looking to do, your financial situation. Here's where you should be looking. Here's how you should be taking advantage of the program. Here's the, the bond program that you should be getting through this state. That's what I'm looking for from top loan officers is you want the doctor that's going to get all the information and make a solid recommendation, not the doctor that's going to be like, well, I've had patients go a bunch of different ways. It's up to you. Like, that's not what I want from my doctor. It's not what I want from my loan officer. Awesome. Love that. Such good advice. That's such good advice for people. So as we're kind of like, I'm looking at the time here, we've been, this is, you've been diving into such great information here as ninjas out there too, and building relationships around all this stuff. How do you see loan officers and realtors kind of using all this information as well to stay in flow with their people, right? What are the ways that is this realtors connecting with loan officers to do annual mortgage reviews on top of real estate reviews? Like, How do you see all this information that you shared being used in a proactive way so that not only can we keep people informed out there, but also build strong relationships? Yeah. I mean, becoming the trusted advisor in whatever your sphere is, whether you're a loan officer and that's realtors or realtors with the people that, that you connect with on a regular basis because you're having information to provide, to me is what a lot, and not everybody, and everybody's got different buying preferences, but most buyers and certainly me, when I'm evaluating, you know, if I'm going to work with somebody is that I think that they are an expert in this field and they're going to be able to provide value to that relationship by teaching me and explaining things to me. The best way to get me to believe that about you is to teach me while I'm not paying attention. That's a golden line. I just got to go back. Teach me while I'm not paying attention. Keep going. Sorry for interrupting. Yeah, I think it's a beautiful thing, right? So on my Facebook feed, I got friends who are super into cryptocurrencies, right? And they're constantly posting about it and talking about it. And they're and by the way, especially the ones who will share when they screw up, because the guy who's like the guy who's never missed on crypto, I'm out on, right? But the guy who's like, hey, I missed, I lost here, I lost there. That guy, when I have a question about that, because I want to go flirt with that, you know, with 10% of my my investment portfolio, that's the guy I'm going to, right? It's a busy day here in Charleston. The same thing applies 
with your realtor or your law officer. I know a million realtors. I know most of the realtors, the top realtors here in Charleston. I'm part of these different things. I have people asking me who to recommend all the time. And it's always the same three or four people. And there's some personality things I'm looking for that mesh in different kinds of types of the market area. But the real thing I'm always looking for, you know, there is somebody who is an expert on what's going on right now and is going to help somebody make the best decision for the market today. How I make those informed decisions is through my social media feed. Because the people that are teaching me about what's going on in their market on their social media, and I can, I'm learning it by accident as I'm scrolling through or hitting their story or whatever it is. Honestly, that's how I'm evaluating their expertise. And that may sound crazy as somebody who's in the industry as long as I've been in it, but that's the frame reference I'm going off of. But if I'm doing that, so is everyone else. And so we, these, all these changes, volatility makes people tune in. You know, one of the ways I got a bunch of my following down here was I started doing videos every day during the beginning of the pandemic with what was going on in the mortgage industry and people were tuning in and listening to it. And so, because in that time of craziness, A, people had some extra time they were looking to kill. But B, they were all like, hey, what's going on? I want to know what's going on. And then that guy is telling me. And it was a huge recruiting opportunity for us, too, for other loan officers. Being like, my company's not telling me anything. I'm learning about what's happening in the mortgage industry off of your social media feed. It's the same thing for the clients right now, right? And so in an area where people are getting information from everywhere, you become the reliable person they go to for real estate information through their social media or through your, you know, your Ford conversations. Then they're going to choose you when it comes time to make a decision or recommend you to somebody when that opportunity shows up. Well, Mark, what I love about your kind of approach with this is that what it always takes me back to is when somebody's intentions are in the right place. You can teach somebody when they're not paying attention, when your intention is about just giving value and giving value and giving value. Hard to do that when you're in pursuing mode and you're like, I'm doing this, I'm giving this information right now, hopefully to attract something back from them or to pull something back from them. I love this idea because your your heart was in the right place of like people need information right now. They need to know what's going on. They're nervous about this. I'm just going to give more information. Same thing with your crypto people. You know, sharing when they mess up as well as when they're they're winning, like that transparency of just like, look, I'm here just to provide value and show you my journey along this way, which at the end of it makes you want to go to them and be like, look, I've seen you mess up. I've seen you win. Like, tell me what you know. It's like Edison, I know a thousand ways not to make a light bulb. He's still the smartest person you can talk to about how to make a light bulb. So I think again, Kudos to you, man, and what you've done there and, and how you've approached that your market there. Yeah, no, we're, we're always looking for new ways to provide value. Uh, one of my favorites in kind of the space that we're in or you know, doing this media stuff is Gary Vee, right? It's like, I've never given Gary Vee $1 for anything ever. And he has provided me a thousand free lessons that I value. Someday, there's going to be an opportunity where I'm going to want to buy something and he's going to be the person to buy it from. And I'm going to feel so good about giving that guy my money for all of the value that he's given me over the years. I think as a realtor, really what you're looking for is that same thing, which is like, how can I not go to Matt? How can I not go to Garrett? How can I not go to this person? Because they provided me so much value for free for so long. I owe it to them almost to go to them when this stuff happens. And so I think if you can become that person who's always delivering value and never asking for anything in return, the science is pretty clear on that. It comes back to you. Yeah, yeah, it definitely is. So, well, and speaking of giving a whole lot of value, Mark, you've shared a ton, more than the time that we've been here worth of value for everybody listening for sure. And um, so, you know, I want to thank you definitely for coming on. I appreciate you spending the time with us here this morning. If people do want to learn more about you or follow your journey, how do they find you? Yeah, it's a great question. So, and I meant to look all this stuff up before because I'm the worst person at plugging myself ever, but I'm Mark D is in Douglas Gordon on Instagram. If you Google Mark Gordon and Princeton Mortgage, you'll find my LinkedIn, 
on my LinkedIn, you can find my cell phone number. Like I'm a very easy person to find if you do a little Googling. Watch out for that. You might get calls. Listen, my favorite thing in the world to do is coach and teach. It's the reason I do all of this. You know, I, I think I could have been a pretty good loan officer. I chose this route because the thing that gets me up out of bed in the morning, I have the most energy for is giving. And so if there's anyone I can help in any way, they can reach out to me on any of those platforms, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram. I have a YouTube channel that's got some stuff up there um, as well. And you can just Google all that stuff. But Mark Gordon, Princeton Mortgage. Yeah, hit me up if there's anything I can do for you. Awesome. We might have to have you back on, by the way, just just so you know. Well, that's kind of maybe just have this rolling trend of figuring out what's going on out there because you have been a wealth of knowledge and expertise. And I appreciate your time tremendously today. That would mean the world to me. I'm such a huge fan of you guys. This has been like my childhood dream of going on the Howard Stern show. It's now my adult dream of coming on the Ninja Selling Podcast. And so thank you guys for having me on. And I'd be happy to come back anytime. Well, thank you, Mark, for listening and for sharing the podcast too. I know you shared with your team and stuff. So I want to thank you so much for that because um, that's helped us grow too. So we really appreciate you. Well, to kind of wrap this episode, Mark, thank you. Matt, thank you as always. Uh, if you want to check out what we've got going on in Ninja Selling, learning more about mortgage installations, regular real estate installations, uh, we have all that online on ninjaselling.com. You can follow us through Facebook, through the The Ninja Selling Podcast community, which we will be there. And, oh, uh, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. It sounded different in my head as I said it. I was like, that's eh, not right. I appreciate everybody who's listening. You make this all worthwhile. I've been getting some wonderful handwritten notes, people reaching out about how much they appreciate what we're up to. And I just want to say thank you. It means the world. We used to read them all the time when we would get them. And it kind of turned into something where it's like we could spend an entire episode maybe reading handwritten thank you notes from all of you out there. So just want to let you know, those are not not noticed. They're extremely powerful and we love them. And so Mark, thank you again. Matt, thank you. Till next time, we'll be back. Take care, everybody. If you enjoyed today's episode and would like more, visit us at the ninjasellingpodcast.com. There you will also find links for more information about ninja selling and coaching. Have an incredible day.